Well, open your Bibles to uh, Judges, the 13th chapter. Hope you have an outline on your table. Judges, sin, servitude, and grace. We have reached chapter 13 in the story of Samson. We actually just barely got started on this last time we met, but we'll just kind of go back over that again because that's been a long time ago. We're two weeks off. Hope you enjoyed Christmas and New Year. And uh, welcome back to uh, Tune Up. Let's bow together for prayer and then we will get started. Father, thank you for the beauty of this day and the joy of our having time to spend together. And thank you for the sweet fellowship at the tables. Thank you for the delicious food. Use it to strengthen and nourish our bodies. Uh, Father, I pray as we continue our study in Judges and today undertake a study of uh, Samson that we will learn and that we will uh, be able to take some things away from here that will help us uh, to be more like you. We love you, adore you. We thank you for your grace, your mercy, your love, your forgiveness of our sins, the gift of eternal life, and the ability and the strength to be present here this afternoon. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. All right, chapter 13, Samson, I put on the board, saint, sinner, or both? Uh, you probably know the answer to that is both, just like um, some other people I know. But uh, he, is a, he is one of the most unique, unusual characters in all of Scripture. Samson is dramatic, and I, I, I think everybody appreciates the story, loves the story. Uh, but man alive, what a, what a character in, in Samson. So uh, artistically, he is portrayed. Um, Rubens drew or painted Samson and Delilah. Bonet did uh, Samson killing the lion. Uh, Handel wrote Samson's Oratorio. John Milton's epic poem, Samson Agonistes. Uh, all of those inspired by the biblical text. And uh, Handel's Oratorio was written the same year that he wrote Messiah. So that was quite a productive year for uh, Brother Handel. And Milton's words were written uh, shortly after he wrote Paradise Lost, so productive year for, for him also. All of those folks took Samson seriously, and so do we. Sometimes he's a wild man hero, but what we must recognize, as we will see today from the text, he's God's man, and Israel is his people. More space is devoted to Samson than any of the other judges. He alone has his birth and destiny announced in advance by a divine messenger. There are two main parts to the story of Samson. Chapter 13 it stands alone addressing the events leading up to his birth. And then chapters 14, 15, and 16 give us a detailed account of his adult life climaxing with his dramatic death. And there's something of an enigma. He is something of an enigma to us. Uh, as we study Samson seeing both the good and the bad, saint, sinner, or both. So let's get the setting before us. That just requires two verses. So let's look at verse 1 and 2 of chapter 13 and just kind of assess where we are. Verse 1. Again, now, if you highlight, underline, circle, mark in your Bible, mark the word again. If, if your text translation begins with the word again, and mine does, and I took a purple highlighter and I, I highlighted the word again. Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. 
Well, here we are back to, yes, surprise, surprise. Here we are back to what we studied the very first week, several months ago in, in Judges. Over and over and over again, we see the cycle. Sin, and God punishes the people. They cry out for mercy. God raises up a deliverer or a judge. He delivers the people, and there's a time of prosperity and of joy and happiness, and then here we go again. So the cycle just continually repeats itself. Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, so the Lord delivered them into the hands of the Philistines for 40 years. I want you to notice the significance of what it says. The Lord delivered them into the hands of the Philistines for 40 years. Now, 40 years is a long time. What is what what year are we in? Twenty twenty? So forty years ago was nineteen eighty. What were you doing in nineteen eighty? Where were you in nineteen eighty? And I know there's a certain sense in which that seems like yesterday morning, but there's another sense in which it seems like that was a long time ago. Is that right? Did I do my math right? Yeah, okay. I had to stop and think about it. You get to be my age, you have to stop and think about those things. So he delivered the hand. Who's in control here? What, what's the picture? Who's in control? God's in control. Now, we could say, oh, those wicked Philistines, and, and you couldn't say wicked enough times to even begin to adequately describe the Philistines. They were indeed wicked, and God, but, but God used them as an instrument of His will to chastise His own people in order to bring them back into the relationship with Him that they are supposed to have. So all of this, uh, don't lose sight of that as we talk about Samson and his strength and his power and all of those things. Don't lose sight of the fact that God is in control of all of this. You know, I think I, I know, I know I mentioned this today, uh, not today, but this week I was looking at some stuff on the, on the computer to prepare for this about Samson. And so I saw a little pop-up about the movie Samson that came out last year, or a year ago. Now it's 2018. I'll have to get used to that. 2018. I don't know if anybody saw it, but there was a movie, a new version of the, it wasn't Cecil B. DeMille's version of 1948 or 9, whatever that was, but it was the 2018 version of Samson. And of course, the young actor who portrayed him um, is a bodybuilder. I mean, he's just... You're one of those guys. And so, again, it just takes me back to, to our thinking of Samson. And, and you can't find this, you can't find the answer to this in Scripture, but is that really what Samson looked like? Well, we don't know. But I doubt it. Because his strength wasn't in his muscles. His strength came from God. In addition to that, how many times was the question asked, how does he do those things? Where does he get that strength? Well, if the real Samson looked like the guy that portrayed Samson in the movie a year and a half ago, you don't have to ask, where does his strength come from? It's very obvious where his strength comes from. But they were asking, Sam, where does his strength come from? So I don't know. I mean, you know, I have, let's just stick with what Scripture says. But I have to wonder if he looked just kind of ordinary. 
Maybe. We'll, we'll have to find out someday. Okay. Now, um, here we go again. We have the, the, the setting. And, and we come to verse 2, and it says, A certain man of Zorah named Manoah from the clan of the Danites had a wife who was childless, unable to give birth. So just those two verses give us the setting that we need to continue in the life of, of Samson. So here we go again. There's evil, and the result of the evil on the part of the Israelites is subjugation by an enemy, and the enemy is the Philistines, probably the best known enemies of Israel as far as the Old Testament is concerned. They had a lot of enemies, but none are more well-known, I think, than the Philistines. Forty years that's a long, long time. So this time, if you notice, there, there's something absent that appeared in all the other stories of judges that God raised up. What is absent? There's no appeal on the part of Israel, God help us. At least as recorded, there's no recorded appeal God, we're sorry, God help us. Because every time previously, God would hear the cries of his people and respond. But this time there's no cry. At least as far as we know. So you have to ask yourself the question, had they entered a period of hopelessness because of their sin? were, at least in the eyes of Israel, were the Philistines so strong that Israel doesn't believe there is any hope. I think there may be evidence for that. Had they reached a period where they were just saying, God can't do anything, or God won't do anything, one or the other, God can't or God won't, that's a sad place to be. And that's where they were. Now, we, we meet this couple, uh, wish we knew her name. We'll just have to say Ms. Manoah because it's all we know. But Manoah and his wife come in, into focus, and, and they will be very much in focus as we continue along. Um, the wife is barren, kind of like Israel at this moment. Barren spiritually and subjugated by the Philistines. Infertility is really, really hard for a couple. It's very difficult. Maybe you've experienced that or you know someone who has it. Very, very difficult. So we have to ask ourselves a question. Had Manoah and his wife also given up? Had they just put it aside that they might ever have any children, like Israel had given up, had they given up, there's no future of a family, just as there appeared to be no future for Israel. But God, that three-word conjunction, but God. God is about to do something amazing. And when you see the word but before the word God, pay attention. Something extraordinary is about to happen. So, but God. So there there comes now an announcement beginning with verse 3. So let's see what it is. 
verse 3 of chapter 13. The angel of the Lord appeared to her and said, this is to Mrs. Manoah, you are barren and childless, but... So I took that little purple highlighter and I underlined that word, but... But you are going to become pregnant and give birth to a son. Now see to it that you drink no wine or other fermented drink and that you do not eat anything unclean. You'll become pregnant and have a son whose head is never to be touched by a razor because the boy is to be a Nazarite dedicated to God from the womb. And he will take the lead in delivering Israel from the hands of the Philistines. This is amazing news for Manoah and his wife. I wonder if they even heard the last sentence. They were so amazed at the prospect of having a child that I wonder if they even heard that last sentence. Well, we know that Manoah's wife heard what the angel said about no wine, no fermented drink, nothing unclean, because she repeats that to her husband. She repeats that clearly to him. So here we have an announcement to, Man- to Mrs. Manoah. Mr. Manoah is not there. But what we see in this announcement is pure grace. Do, do you remember what what is the third descriptive word under the title in in judges, sin, servitude, and what? Grace. We see grace, the grace of God, over and over and over again in Judges. So here's pure grace. Samson will be a gift of unmerited, surprising grace to Manoah and his wife. Now, he says to her, the baby will be holy. Nazarites were holy men. So Samson's mom, Mrs. Manoah, cannot drink or eat anything that is unclean. And so she is to bear an exceptional, extraordinary son, and he is one who is a Nazarite dedicated to God, the text tells us, dedicated to God, or belonging to God, or set apart for God. So you're going to have a son. He's going to be a Nazarite set aside, distinctive, exceptional, and... He is belonging to God, set apart for God. So in a sense, Samson will not belong to his parents. They will raise him to manhood, but God will claim him. Now, let's talk for a moment about the comprehension challenge facing Manoah and his wife. So let's look at verse 6. It's a little longer passage to go through the end of the chapter, but let, let's do that. Uh, chapter 13, verse 6. Then the woman went to her husband and told him, A man of God came to me. He looked like an angel of God. Very awesome. I didn't ask him where he came from, and he didn't tell me his name. But he said to me, You'll become pregnant and have a son. Now then... Drink no wine or other fermented drink and do not eat anything unclean because the boy will be a Nazarite of God from the womb until the day of his death. Then Manoah prayed to the Lord, pardon your servant, Lord. I beg you to let the man of God you sent to us come again to teach us how to bring up the boy who is to be born. Good question. 
Did he, was, was he struggling to even believe what his wife said? Perhaps. But in his prayer to God, he doesn't voice it that way. He just says, if we've got to raise this boy to be a Nazarite, we need help. So will you come back, will, will you have this guy come back and talk to us again about how to do that? God heard Manoah, and the angel of God came again to the woman while she was out in the field, but her husband Manoah was not with her. The woman hurried to tell her husband, he's here, the man who appeared to me the other day. Manoah got up and followed his wife, and when he came to the man, he said, are you the man who talked to my wife? I am, he said. So Manoah asked him, when your words are fulfilled, what is to be the rule that governs the boy's life and work? The angel of the Lord answered, your wife must do all that I have told her. She must not eat anything that comes from the grapevine, nor drink any wine or other fermented drink, nor eat anything unclean. She must do everything I have commanded her. Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, we would like to stay and we would like you to stay until we prepare a young goat for you. The angel of the Lord replied, even though you detain me, I will not eat any of your food. But if you prepare a burnt offering and offer it to the Lord, Manoah didn't realize that it was the angel of the Lord. Then Manoah, but if you prepare a burnt offering, offer it to the Lord. Manoah did not realize that it was the angel of the Lord. Then Manoah inquired of the angel of the Lord, what's your name? So that we may honor you when your word comes true. He replied, why do you ask my name? It is beyond understanding. Or it can be translated, you may have a note in your Bible that says, the name is wonderful. My name is wonderful. Beyond understanding. Then Manoah took a young goat together with the grain offering and sacrificed it on a rock to the Lord. And the Lord did an amazing thing while Manoah and his wife watched. As the flame blazed up from the altar toward heaven, the angel of the Lord ascended in the flame. So now, conclusively we know Manoah and his wife will not ignore the words of the angel because now they see who he really is. Seeing this, Manoah and his wife fell with their faces to the ground. When the angel of the Lord did not show himself again to Manoah and his wife, Manoah realized that it was the angel of the Lord. We're doomed to die, he said to his wife. We have seen God. But his wife answered, if the Lord had meant to kill us, he would have not accepted a burnt offering and grain offering from our hands, nor shown us all these things or now told us this. There is in this marriage one who is emotional and one who is logical. Guess which one is which? That may be the case in your marriage, but it is the case here. So an emotional Manoah has his wife say to him, look, if God wanted us dead, he'd already killed us. But he doesn't. So there is in the text a comprehension challenge. Manoah and his wife talk as would any couple who had seen and heard what Manoah's wife heard. God has shown up, and this is extraordinary. Now, Manoah can't comprehend fully what's going on, so he asked God, send back this man, and God did, and did it quickly, because, you know, she says, the man who was here the other day, you don't use those terms if it's been three or four months since he was here, but just the other day, he was here, well, he's back. So there comes in a, a, the, the, the revelation to Mrs. Manoah and then to Manoah. He wants to hear himself. 
help me to understand. Manoah doesn't know what to say to the man when he comes back. So he says, would you like to stay for dinner? I, man, I, I, I don't know what I would have said either. But Manoah says, stay for dinner. But the angel says, no, make the sacrifice to God. And then he ascends in the flame and Manoah knows it's God's appearance through the angel. There's an indication of the honor and respect that Manoah has here for God when he says, I'm going to die. We're going to die. We've seen God. We're going to die. That's a sign of honor and respect. Manifests itself in a degree of fear. It's not a flippant. Today it distresses me greatly to see so many people who claim to be Christians treat act as, as you know treat God so flippantly and in, in, in a cavalier manner. But not not Manoah. He says we're going to die. We've seen God. Uh, and his wife reminds him, No, if God wanted to kill us, he would have already he would have already done it. Now, this is bigger than Mr. and Mrs. Manoah. You, you know that, don't you? It's bigger than them. Yeah, they're going to have a baby. That's great news because they didn't think they were going to have a child. So it's big news, but it's way bigger than just one childless couple finally being able to have a child. This encompasses the whole of God's people. This is a, a big deal, just like Luke chapter 2 is bigger than Joseph and Mary. Now, Samson's name is going to be called, he's going to be called Samson, Shimshon, Shimshon, Samson, man of the sun. That's the literal meaning of his man of the sun, S-U-N. And so, verse 24 and 25, let, let's get him born so we can then move on in his life. Verse 24, the woman gave birth to a boy and named him Samson. He grew and the Lord blessed him. And the Spirit of the Lord began to stir him while he was in Mahaneh, Dan, between Zorah and Eshtal. So now we've got him. He's been delivered. He's beginning to grow up. And the deliverance of Israel is beginning. Now before we go on to chapter 14, I want us to think about the significance of Samson. Everything about this chapter that we've just read tells us that Samson is a very, very special person. He is holy, separated to God from the womb. His birth is announced beforehand by an angel, messenger of God. He is declared to be a savior, God's savior of his people. Early in his life, he is claimed by the Spirit for his divine destiny. And and as we read on, we will see that he is rejected by his people. Arrested, turned over to his enemies, tortured, and made a spectacle by them until... At last, his calling is consummated in his death. Does any of that sound familiar? Who else would we use similar words of? Jesus. But in dying, Samson destroys Dagon, the god of Israel's enemies. 
So understand that the story of Samson is the story of a theological victory on the part of God and his people. Not just a material victory, deliverance of Israel, but it's a theological victory. Only a beginning, of course. The Philistines don't go away immediately. Uh, There would be more battles to be fought, more dark days to live through, but those who knew about Samson would never be able to believe anymore that the Philistines were all-powerful or that Dagon, their god, really ruled the world. Because now they know he doesn't. And eventually, the work of delivering Israel from the Philistines that Samson began would be completed by a young shepherd boy grown up to be a king named David. In fact, I refer you to 2 Samuel chapter 5 beginning with verse 17. When the Philistines heard that David had been anointed king over Israel, they went up in full force to search for him. But David heard about it and went down to the stronghold. Those of you who have been to Israel, can you remember what's the stronghold? You remember it. You, you went up on a gondola? And may have walked down, or you rode the gondola back down. What am I talking about? Masada. Yeah, that's the David stronghold, Masada. Now the Philistines had come and spread out in the valley of Rephaim. So David inquired of the Lord, Shall I go and attack the Philistines? Will you deliver them into my hands? The Lord answered, Go, for I will surely deliver the Philistines into your hands. So David went to Baal-perazim, and there he defeated them. He said, as waters break out, the Lord has broken out against my enemies before me. So that place was called Baal Perazim, which means the Lord who breaks out. So that place was called Baal Perazim, and the Philistines abandoned their idols there, and David and his men carried them off. Once more, the Philistines came up and spread out in the valley of Rephaim. So David inquired of the Lord, and he answered, Do not go straight up, but circle around behind them and attack them in front of the poplar trees. As soon as you hear the sound of marching in the tops of the poplar trees, move quickly, because that will mean the Lord has gone out in front of you to strike the Philistine army. How would you like to lead an army and hear God's army overhead in the trees, knowing they're going out there and do the hard work? We'll just mop it all up. That's for David. So David did as the Lord commanded him, and he struck down the Philistines all the way from Gibeon to Gezer. Now, um, if I leap ahead to chapter 8, verse 1, and then I will leave David and go back to Samson. In the course of time, David defeated the Philistines and subdued them and took control of the land of the Philistines. So what is begun by Samson will be completed by David. There'll be other enemies of Israel, not just the Philistines, other gods of whom the people claimed are all powerful. More dark days are going to come, but eventually there'll come a day when an angel of the Lord appears to another childless woman and says to her, behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. That's Luke 1, 31 to 33. So here we are introduced 
to one of the most fascinating characters of all scripture, a man named Samson. Now, um, hmm. uh, let's do this. Let me read verses 1 through 4, and then we'll pick up here next week, okay? Or better than that, let me just give an introduction to the, to the verses, and we'll read the verses next week. So here's the introduction to chapter 14. In the story of Samson, this will get your attention. Don't hear these words in this, in this room very often. In the story of Samson, we have a mixture of sex, violence, death, and power. Isn't that true? You know the story? Absolutely true. As Israel's spiritual conditions grow worse, the scene seems to be set in chapter 13 for a great judge, leader, perhaps the greatest of all in judges. Instead, that's the scene that seems to be set, but instead we will find the most flawed character in all the judges. He is violent. He is impulsive. He is sexually addicted. He is emotionally immature. And he is selfish. And perhaps the most stunning to us is that the Spirit of God is on him and uses him to accomplish God's plan. It's exactly what sovereign God does. God will do what he wants to do to accomplish his plan and bring glory to his name. So we're going to stand in utter amazement to see God did that in him. Yes, God did that in him. And we'll unfold the rest of the story of Samson when we come back next week, beginning with Samson seeing a Philistine girl, woman, and deciding that's the woman I want to marry. You know, he didn't even know her. He didn't know her name, had talked to her, didn't know anything, just saw her. That's the one for me. Wow. Okay. More detail on that next week. All right. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your precious word and all that we learn. And thank you for our introduction to Samson. And we look forward with anticipation to the story as it unfolds, knowing that you are in control, and you will accomplish your will and your way in your time, and we look forward to seeing what it's going to be, even as we are grateful for what you do in our lives, and most especially what you have done through your precious and only Son, Jesus, our Savior and Lord, in whose name we pray. Amen. God bless you. See you next time.